Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. Today, we'd like to welcome to our show for the very first time, Mike Larson, Senior Analyst and Editor of the Safe Money Report of Weiss Ratings. He speaks to us from their headquarters in West Palm Beach, Florida. Mike, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Glad to be here, Charlie. So, Mike, uh, you started out at uh, Boston University. Uh, You worked at Bankrate.com and at Bloomberg News, and you joined Weiss Ratings in 2001. So you've been there for a while. You're a common face on those who uh, watch uh, the business media, and you make stock recommendations. Give us a brief background of yours, will you, Mike? Sure, I, I sure will. Um, I came into this business, again, I, going to Boston University. I was actually a journalism and English double major and um, stayed up there for my summers. And Bloomberg News, the bureau in, in Boston, was hiring. So I had a chance to uh, work for them and kind of get my feet wet in the financial markets from that side of the business um, and just you know carried forward from there. After graduation, I went to work. I moved back here in South Florida, where I'm originally from, and uh, went to work at Bankrate.com, kind of closely following the interest rate and mortgage markets for that company. Uh, and then made the, the jump over to Weiss to get into more of the investment side of the business uh, beginning back in 2001. And it was an interesting time. That was right around the time of 9-11, obviously very volatile markets, a lot going on. Um, and it carried forward from there. I, I've still specialized in the interest rate and interest rate sensitive markets. A lot of what I do when it comes to picking investments comes from sort of my understanding of where we are in the credit and economic cycles and where, what kind of signals you can pick up from the interest rate markets related to that. And I've generally found that about the, in this industry, the sort of investment publishing and research business, about half of the people I, I've met over the years have come up from kind of the writing and journalism side. And the other half have come up from uh, the stock brokerage, money management side, and so on. Um, so it's been a nice mix, and I, I like to think that hopefully it gives you a little bit of a unique perspective on the business and uh, on the markets overall. Well, as one of your subscribers, I hope that it does work uh, for you and all of us here. So the safe money report here, Mike, what are the kinds of recommendations you make? Sure. The safe money report, actually, the history of of the flagship publication from our company really dates back to the late 1970s. We've been publishing uh, in one form or another um, under that name or related names and kind of had that that core publication. And as the name might suggest, uh, it is a publication that's geared towards more defensive, income-type focused investments, uh, companies and, and stocks, ETFs, and uh, other investments that really give you that, that ability to, to build your wealth, but do so in a safe, prudent manner. Um, I've been associated with the, the Safe Money Report since about 2003, working under the, the sort of tutelage of Martin Weiss, our company founder. And I really think that that approach, especially in markets like these that have tended to get a little more treacherous, a little more uncertain and volatile, uh, can certainly really pay off in terms of uh, helping to generate sustainable gains rather than kind of chasing uh, chasing the, these fly-by-night or these riskier type uh, investments. That's really not how I try and, um, you know, who I am by nature, I guess, and also what I try and do in the publication is be more defensive, focus more on capital preservation and growth as opposed to just growth. So so tell us, what do you look for in uh, 
uh, evaluating companies for recommendations. Uh, do you, are you strictly a fundamental analyst? Do you look for timing with, through technical uh, analysis? Uh, do you do quantitative analysis these days? What do you look for and how do you do it? Sure. I'm more of a fundamental and cyclical-oriented uh, investor and analyst. I think that I look at kind of where I try and gauge where we are in the economic and credit cycle, and that helps to guide some of the overall big-picture investment recommendations and decisions that I make. The fortunate thing about working for Weiss Ratings is that we don't just you know have our opinions. We are we in a bull market? Are we in a bear market? Do we like financials? Do we like transports? What what have you? What we can do is go to our da- our vast database of information and see what the data is telling us. Does it confirm our suspicions about the market? Does it refute them? And how do we sort of allow our our market view to evolve based on that? Specifically in the Safe Money Report, we have a bedrock income portfolio. uh, And to get to the recommendations, sort of narrow down the list of stocks to potential recommendations, we start with a feed of essentially 15,000 stocks that we get from Standard & Poor's uh, and other markets. Then we distill for safety and liquidity. We're looking for a minimum market cap, minimum average daily volume. So those are sort of our initial filters. Then we go a step further and we assess um, the ratings of all these companies. It is a quantitatively based model that our company has developed over the years. And so we'll be looking for, thing, for equities that are rated at least C- minus or better, which puts them in our equivalent of hold or buy categories. And then we'll narrow it down by dividend yield. We're looking for dividend yield um, greater than up to about four times the S&P 500. We're looking for dividend growth, three-year compound annual growth of greater than or equal to about 10%. Then we have some sort of dividend coverage uh, ratio and ability to pay type things that go into the, the factors as well. And finally, I will look at, at what, the, what our um, technical and momentum sort of sub-models are saying about these companies before I determine whether or not they make that final cut. And that's, again, that's sort of an overall methodology that's looking at uh, rating, it's looking at yield, it's looking at ability to pay greater than market dividends, and also looking at, at some of these momentum and technical factors to confirm whether or not the market is appreciating the fundamentals and rewarding these stocks with, uh, with favorable technical patterns. Okay, that, that was quite a statement. I'd love to capture that and uh, put it in a book sometime. Uh, so, so, Mike, I read the other day that uh, for, you know, and, and I've heard this many times, let's get your opinion on it, that the, the best way to find stocks that are, should perform well in the coming future, okay, and, and not necessarily next week, but longer term, is to pick a quality stock Pays a good that pays a good dividend and that has growing dividends and that third one in these people's opinion was the most important of those three. Would you agree? And are there kind of pitfalls in that kind of approach that others may not be seeing? No, I definitely think that that approach is on the right track. I mean, again, we're looking for companies that pay dividend or that have indicated yields greater than the S&P 500, but not so high that that indicates the dividends at risk. So we sort of look for what we call that sweet spot, good dividends to uh, to pretty good dividends, but not fantastic because that may not be sustainable. Um, and then you also, when you mentioned dividend growth, I mean, we're looking for a three-year sort of compound annual growth rate of greater than or equal to 10%. If you see that over a span of a, of a few years, I think that gives you an idea of the overall trend of the company. Um, not only are they able to pay their dividends, they are growing them um, you know, over a multi-year cycle. And that certainly gives you some more confidence when it comes to investing in these ki- types of companies. 
Um, and, and again, I think that you know that's going to be more important than ever if we do enter a more challenging economic environment, which is generally sort of my outlook, um, you know, coming down the pike. I think that here, this far into an economic expansion, we are going to have some issues uh, with potential growth. So you need to be a little bit more careful. You need to be a little bit more defensive as an investor. And that's where dividends come into play because they do give you that support uh, if we do, in fact, end up having a sideways to down market. So a couple of questions here. One is uh, dividend aristocrats. Okay, as as I'm sure you you're well aware, it takes uh, about 50 companies who have increased their dividends every year uh, for the past uh, I think it's uh, 25 years. Are you a fan of that, or or is it overly simplified? You know, I, I it is sort of a simplistic way of looking at it because I think you also do want to incorporate some of these ratings-based and technical um, screens that we try and do here here at Safe Money Report. Um, but it's a good place to start. I mean, you, there are some companies out there that clearly have been paying dividends for years and years. They've done so through multiple market and economic cycles, not just in the good times, but also the bad. And I think that that can give you more confidence and comfort as an investor, uh, particularly, again, if you're at that stage in your life where you want to be more defensive, focused a little bit more on preservation versus growth. Um, certainly, that's the kind of, uh, the kind of company that you can you know, sleep, <laughs> sleep well at night knowing that that's in your portfolio. Okay, good to hear. And then number two, uh, do you look at non, uh, non-stock non market stocks, okay, uh, or, or partnerships uh, that have incentives to pay high dividends, and so they, they naturally pay higher dividends? So, so REITs, business development companies, master limited partnerships in the energy space, even closed-end funds. Do you look at those kinds, or, or, or do you strictly uh, stay with the uh, regular stocks? No, absolutely. In the Safe Money Report over the years that we, we've um, had the publication, the model portfolio has included um, some of those other types of investments, yield-focused investments you've mentioned. MLPs have been in there. REITs certainly have been and were recently in there as well. Um, I think that, you know, it's sort of hard sometimes to, to factor in tax considerations, some of the things that are involved with MLPs, for example. Some investors would prefer to just stay away, given the, the tax issues with that. But I try and look at, at a company, regardless of its organization. Uh, I try and look at it at, for its, its specific fundamentals for that company, its specific attributes as an investment, and uh, how it compares to some of the other yield vehicles out there. So certainly there are times when um, you know, MLPs make the most sense, or there's times when ETFs with uh, things like mortgage REITs might make sense. There's a, you know, a number of different ways to go about income investing, and I don't like to constrain the safe money report to just common equity. I think some of those other types of structures can and do make sense given where we are at certain points in time. So, Mike, uh, tell us, what misperceptions do you see by investors and advisors um, in the area that, that, that you're involved in? What do you think that you understand that you wish more of them understood? Sure. I think, um, especially in recent years when we've had a, a pretty strong bull market trend up until, say, early 2018, um, I think a lot of the focus was on the, the, the Gordon Gecko greed is good approach to investing, right? Um, focusing purely on capital gains and, and companies, uh, FANG names, tech names, and so on that were extremely uh, in powerful momentum-type trends. 
Um, but I've actually more recently been focused on, on a, a different motto, which is that boring is good. Um, <laughs> companies that may not be, <laughs> not be in flashier sectors like technology, um, they may be in consumer staples. They may be in the utilities arena or the REIT space and so on. Um, these are companies that, that have the dividend yield cushion, that have recession or slowdown resistant business models, uh, and they have other attributes that I think really make them more attractive to me rather than less. So call it boring if you like, but I, I don't think investors mind that moniker if, as long, if they're preserving and building their capital. And I think that these types of investments make a lot of sense at this point in the cycle. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, most people would definitely agree with you. It kind of reminds me the time that I asked uh, a, a tax preparer, I said, uh, kind of joking, uh, is preparing taxes exciting? And he said, not if you do it right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, same with investments. So, uh, Michael, let me ask you a question here. Uh, I'm looking at uh, a quote that uh, I saw yesterday afternoon after the market had closed. It's from CNBC's evening brief that they send out to everybody, their, their opinions about what's going on. I'm just going to read it to you. And uh, you tell us if, if you basically agree with this or not. And that this uh, kind of... Uh, contradicts one of our rules is we don't like to get involved in what's happening exactly right now and is the market to go up from here or down but this was an interesting take and would appreciate uh, your uh, uh, your take on this and uh, again you have not heard this before so this will be off the cuff okay so I'm uh, here is what it is CNBC's Fred Imbert enumerates why the market's latest all-time highs appear to be bulletproof, even amid negative trade headlines that just a few weeks ago would have rattled nerves. It comes down to this, colon, nobody is selling. It's been a good year, and institutional investors have every reason to hold their winners. Stocks have been up more times than down since October 11, and the gains have been bigger than the losses, advancing the indexes to new highs step by meager step. So stay in the market, okay? Uh, how would you react to that? Sure. A couple of thoughts come up when I, I, I hear that. Obviously, sentiment factors into, the, into positioning. I mean, investors get extremely bullish when we're near uh, peaks and obviously extremely bearish when we're near valleys in the market. But when I step back and, and look at the, the overall picture, I think really starting in early 2018, we began to see a lot of sideways chop in the averages and a lot of that sort of steady march higher in the market uh, that was that was consisting of almost every market sector out there that was confirmed by the action in the credit markets, the bond market, as well as the volatility markets, that began to break down. We were in sort of what I would call it a confirmed, powerful bull market that began to run out, run out of steam in the early 2018. In each successive S&P 500 high since then, we have not seen successive lows in volatility as measured by the VIX. We have not seen successive lows in credit spreads, uh, the difference in yield that an investor demands to own a junk bond or corporate bond versus an underlying treasury. Now, why do I pay attention to that kind of thing? Well, I've often found, and maybe it's because I'm biased and I started out in the interest rate markets, I've often found that the credit markets, the bond markets, tend to be both early and somewhat uh, smarter than equity, meaning if you essentially the credit market tail often wags the equity market dog. So what I'm watching for 
uh, again, since then, is that we haven't seen this confirmation. We haven't seen it even in our own Weiss ratings data. If you look at the ratio of companies' uh, stocks rated buy to sell in, the, in our uh, in-house database, that was confirming market advances up until early 2018. In other words, the buy-sell ratio was improving right alongside the market. What we've seen since then is a divergence. The equity market has made a series of slightly higher highs as measured by the S&P 500, but our own buy-sell ratio has not made higher highs. It's made lower highs. That just tells you that fewer stocks are participating in the rallies and also that the ones that are tend to be more defensive, more yield-oriented, more recession or slowdown resistant in sectors like utilities and REITs and so on. So again, that's a change in market character. So I don't find myself as bullish as the, as the person you quoted there. And I actually am more concerned now about the market overall than I've been in quite some time. It doesn't mean we have to expect a market crash or anything like that. But I certainly think it makes sense to be more defensive in your strategy now than you might have wanted to be from the period between 2009 and early 2018. You know, those are, uh, those are great points, uh... Mike, very pleased we asked that question. And just to add add to that is on this show, you know, we've been doing it for five years and uh, we ask people, um, uh, as we're going to ask you a little later, what keeps you awake at night? And we got in the first couple, three years, we got all kinds of, uh, you know, normal input, you know, from their dog to their teenage kids to various things. Starting in mid-2016, we started getting, Paul, uh, and you can confirm this, we started getting responses that I'm concerned about the geopolitical situation. And most everybody said something about that. And uh, that has continued, but it's gotten so old now, <laughs> you know, maybe we're all immune to it continuing here or, or we've heard the, the wolf cry so many times. But it was, uh, you know, uh, three plus years ago that uh, we started getting those responses. And, and so for and, and we're talking to people in the industry just like you. So uh, th th that would appear to us as, you know, as being something that foresaw the kinds of things you're, you're talking about here. So l let's ask this question here, Mike. Uh, how has the world of investing changed since the time you first entered the business, which I presume was what, mid to late 90s? That's correct, mid to late 90s. Um, certainly, having been in, really coming into the market and, and first following the financial markets closely at what was approaching peak exuberance in the late 1990s with the dot-com boom and so on, um, and then seeing the unwind from that process. Then a few years later, we obviously saw another boom or bubble, if you will, in housing, and we had that cycle unwind as well. So what I've seen is really this ebb and flow um, of, of very large asset market boom-bust cycles more so than I think you saw prior to the 1990s. So there, there have been larger gains to the upside, I think, and also larger risks in the market than we've had um, probably in my father's age or you know, before I got into the market in, in the mid-1990s. So I think that's something that you have to be cognizant of is the risks as asset values do rise quite a bit and as you do have you know, elevated price-to-earnings ratios and other things like that. You, know, you do have to be concerned about potential downside a little bit more now than I think maybe in the past when you had these slow, steady advances that weren't so much fueled by booms in the credit markets. 
so again, I think that that's a change. And I think we're certainly seeing a lot more indexing these days um, than we've seen, uh, which is both a blessing and a curse to some degree. Um, if you're an index-focused investor or, or you own index funds and ETFs and mutual funds or what have you, um, I think that makes sense for a portion of, uh, of a person's uh, wealth. But I think my, my firm's entire business is built around the concept that there are good stocks, there are bad stocks, and there are stocks in between. We have a rating scale from A to E. Um, A's and B's are considered buys, C's are considered holds, D's and E's are considered sell. Um, our model, and again, our business approach is based around the idea that you can and should invest more money in the better companies, and you can and should invest less money in the, the companies that have more risk. So if, I think when you own an index, if that's all you're ever investing in, you're getting both the, the you're getting the bad and the good. You're not really making much of a separation there. So I think that especially in an environment with more volatility and more uncertainty, you're going to see more of the cream rise to the top. And I think that's a difference. So I think you know while we've seen a big trend towards indexing in recent years, I think there will become a point where you know you're going to have to start being a little more discerning in where you direct your investments because there is going to be more risk of downside. You know, in the companies that have more risk inherently. You're, you're preaching the choir on that one here, Mike. Mike, what is the best advice you've heard, read, or received about investing? Sure. I think, again, you know, working under Martin Weiss as the founder of this company, he, similar to I, has a more conservative bent to, to him. He's been, you know, more cognizant, more focused on, on risks rather than just opportunities. I mean, opportunities are important, but, you know, to just chase the, the upside without um, being cognizant of the downside is certainly an approach that some take, and it works great in bull markets, but doesn't work when the, that market trend falters. So I think the, invest, the advice that I've gotten from Martin over the years working here to be, you know, cognizant of risk, to pay attention to that downside, uh, that, that, you know, that risk that's out there, that's been probably the most important thing drilled into my head. And I think it served me very well, especially in troubled markets like we've seen a few times just since I've been in the business in the late 1990s. So, Mike, uh, your turn for the question, what keeps you awake at night? Sure. Again, I, I look at the valuation of assets. I look at the spread between sort of where assets like homes and, and, and stocks and so on are relative to the real economy. There is quite a bit of, of um, you know, asset inflation that we've seen for a number of years out there. Uh, and the gap between what asset markets are doing and what the real economy is doing has grown. So my, my biggest concern, the thing that, that keeps me up at night, is whether or not those asset valuations are, are sustainable over the long term, especially at this point. I mean, it's been a gap that's been growing over the years. It's been you know, pushed along by a lot of what's going on in the policy arena, monetary policy and so on, and a lot of confidence. I mean, as the economic and credit cycle gets longer in the tooth, you tend to see more risk being taken on by, by in this cycle in particular, corporations, whereas last time it was the mortgage lenders and mortgage borrowers where we saw the worst of the excesses. This time it's on the corporate side. So if I had to say you know, what keeps me up most at night, it's that we are going to see some risks if and when we do see a recession, uh, they're going to be magnified by what's happened on the corporate side and magnified by the elevated level of asset values. Very interesting uh, insight there. Really appreciate it. Uh, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners, Mike? Well, again, I guess it, it, it's because I'm a little biased given what I focus on. But um, when I first started here at Weiss, one of my uh, former colleagues, Larry Edelson, uh, he got me. He made sure I got a copy of A History of Interest Rates by Sidney Homer and Richard Silla. Uh, it is not the most exciting reading. I will be the first to state that. It's not a compelling narrative approach or, or, or a story of how interest rates have changed over many, many years and what that can mean for your investing approach. 
but there's data and charts that go back to the Babylonian times in this book and that give you a lot of perspective on economic cycles, on credit cycles, on interest rates, and what that means as an investor in terms of when you want to potentially be taking on more risk and when you want to be you know, dialing that risk down. So uh, I think that's probably one of the most uh, informative books that I've found, even if it's not the, exactly uh, something you want to be talking about at cocktail parties. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so tell us, Mike, j- j- just quickly, uh, have negative interest rates uh, ever existed in the world until the last few years? No, I've seen I've seen work out there, and, and, it, and it's sort of confirmed by what's in that book that the interest rate environment of the last several years is truly unprecedented in essentially 5,000 years of modern history. We've never seen rates this low for this long in this widespread uh, uh, list of economies and markets and so on. Uh, and so clearly that's had an impact on asset values, and it's part and parcel of the whole thing we were discussing earlier about what keeps me up at night. Um, how do we get out of this situation? How do we normalize? Um, when you have unprecedented policies, you have to be concerned that there may be some unprecedented or unanticipated consequences. And that's another reason why I think a more cautious approach at this stage makes a little bit a little bit more sense. No question about it. It all goes together. So for those who would like to know more, your website and any contact information you can give us here. Absolutely. People can go to www.weissratings.com. That's W-E-I-S-S ratings.com. Um, you know, they take a look at some of the, the ratings-based information we have there. They can enter stock tickers, mutual fund tickers if they like, get the ratings for their own investments that they have, and also read more about kind of our outlook for what we see coming ahead. Um, three times a week, we, uh, we have a, a column that goes out by email in the mornings. My day in the rotation is Wednesday, where I sort of give my overview on the markets and the economy and so on. So people can drop, go there, put in their email address, receive that for free, and just get an introduction to what it is that Weiss Ratings does what I cover, and uh, hopefully become a little bit better informed investors overall. Okay, thank you very much. So how about final words for our listeners here, Mike? Sure. Again, I think that this is an environment where it pays to be more cautious, more aware, and more cognizant of downside risks than you've probably had to focus on in a long time. Uh, Again, I may just be conservative by nature, but there are times when I think a more aggressive approach is is warranted. There are times where I think a more defensive one is is more, uh, more your cup of tea, and I'm definitely in the latter camp at this point in time. Mike, thank you very much for joining us today. Had an excellent conversation. Really appreciate uh, your time and your thoughts and your insights. And our best wishes for you and uh, Weiss Ratings continued uh, success. Thank you for joining us. Again, we've been talking with Mike Larson, senior analyst and editor of the Safe Money Report of Weiss Ratings. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you're not hearing elsewhere. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host, Charlie Wright, or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing. <laughs>